Welcome to the Cinema Men Podcast. I'm your host, John Murphy, and I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Hurdle. Matt is not here, Mr. Murphy. Where's Matt? Can I talk to Matt? Matt went away, Mr. Murphy. Wait. Oh, he just went to get some water, Mr. Murphy. I think he's coming back. Oh, hey! You know what they say, all work and no water makes Matt a parched boy. I was very thirsty, yes. Hydration's important, so I have my water, and I have my microphone, and I have my notes. And Don't I have tease me a, with water. Uh, terribly inept talent <laughs> at podcasting. <laughs> hey, we share the same talent. Hey! <laughs> So what's on tonight's episode, John? You know, I'm going to tell you. On tonight's episode, we're going to review the 1980 horror film, The Shining, starring Jack Nicholson and Shelley Duvall, directed by Stanley Kubrick. This is episode number Trace, or number three of A King's Journey, a series in which we review Stephen King book adaptations in the order that they were made. Um, we, uh, movie adaptations. <laughs> uh, well, previously on these movie adaptations, we reviewed <laughs> Carrie and Salem's Lot. So King's Journey. Yes, check those out. Uh, those other episodes. This is a spoiler podcast. So if you've never seen the movie and you don't want to be spoiled, pause this episode, go watch the movie, and then come back. Stay tuned until the end of the episode where we reveal what our next movie will be, so you can follow along with us. If you want to get in touch with us or give your take on a movie we have reviewed, feel free to email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. If you'd like to throw some money our way and have the means to do so, you can go to anchor.fm slash cinemamenpodcast slash support. We use that money to improve the quality of the podcast and buy green screens. So in advance, thank you very much. Well, we, well, we will use the money to buy green screens. Um, as of now, uh, we, we can't. We open our wallets and moths fly out. This is it's, what you get. It's not pretty. Back here. <laughs> not good. All we can afford is a blurry background. <laughs> uh, hey, if you like hey. video instead of audio. Oh, I do. We offer that, too. You can go to YouTube and search for The Cinema Men Podcast. We record live every Tuesday, other Tuesday, every other Tuesday at 830 Central Time. Subscribe to our channel because that will be much easier than figuring out when every other Tuesday is. That's right. You'll get notifications when we go live and when we upload new video episodes of the podcast. Exactly. And hey, one note. Huh? Our video, our, our our video submissions, they're raw, raw, they're man. unedited, live filmed, and I know that's hard to tell because we are flawless in our execution. But hey, you know we are mediocre podcast uh, amateurs, so yeah, you know what I mean. You should expect nothing less. Basically, if you're tired of the professionalism that we give you on these audio podcasts you go watch the raw uncut unrated 
audio or video version on YouTube. That's right. You'll see us how we truly are. Pathetic. <laughs> but hey, we love movies and we love you for listening. So thanks. That's right. And one more thing. We have started releasing a short form series called Cineminis. If you're someone who doesn't like to hear us review movies and doesn't like to listen to an hour and a half to two hours of us talking, these are for you. So every other week when we don't release the Cinema Men podcast, we're going to release these 30 minute short form random topic episodes called the Cineminis. And, and we, I should say 30 minutes or less or your money back. They're going to be short. Yeah. Uh, we just did one on underrated Disney animated movies. So That's check right. that out. <laughs> we did. <laughs> All right. Let's get started. Enough plugging oh, wait, stuff. Wait, wait, no. No, there's one more thing we need to plug, John. What is it? We're going to do a giveaway, John. Oh, we're doing that. We're doing do a giveaway. Go for it. We've got something. You're in charge of this one. Oh, great. We've got something that we want to give away. We want you guys engaged. We're going to make it super easy to enter. If you're a movie nerd, you'll think it's cool. Actually, if you're a movie nerd, you may already have it. But hey, if you don't, now's your chance to win all of the Rocky movies on Blu-ray. This is a full set. It's a Blu-ray. You've got everything from Rocky 1. All the way to Rocky Balboa. Yeah. What are the other you titles? You can't see it because it's still shrink wrapped. What are the other titles? Yeah. They're hard to remember, but you've got Rocky. You've got Rocky 2. Then you've got Rocky 3. Ah. After that is Rocky 4. Then Rocky 5. Mm-hmm. That's true. This one. is where it gets tricky. This is when it gets tricky. After Rocky 5, you've got Rocky Balboa. This is a six-disc set, six set loaded with extra features. Maybe not loaded, but there's a lot of extra features on here, and we are itching to send this to somebody. Uh, we'll tell you how to win this. Uh, whoever gets it, I will mail this to you absolutely free of charge. No shipping costs, no nothing. All you have to do is enter and win this set of movies. Excellent. And we'll tell you how to do that in a little bit. All right, let's get started. Tragedy. Let's do it. 1970. Heard a man named Charles Grady is the winter caretaker. From what I've been told, I mean, he seemed like a completely normal individual. But at some point during the winter, he must have suffered some kind of a complete mental breakdown. He ran amok and uh, killed his family. Well. Can rest assured, Mr. Ullman, that's not going to happen with me. <laughs> that's right. Mom, they really want to go and live in that hotel for the winter. Sure, I do. It'll be lots of fun. The only thing that can get a bit trying up here during the winter is uh, the tremendous sense of isolation. Is there something bad here? I fear you will have to deal with this matter in the harshest possible way. Indeed, I, I killed you with Danny. You did this to me, didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna. The plot synopsis from IMDb.com for The Shining is: 
A family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where a sinister presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. Forebodings. I think we had a, a novelist write this one. <laughs> you don't hear the word foreboding. No, foreboding even. a noun very often. <laughs> Here, John, I have some forebodings for you. Matt, I am very curious because as we've uh, as you've expressed on episodes before, you don't really like The Shining. So I'm curious to see if this most recent viewing changed your mind. So are you asking me to uh, proceed with my personal review of this film? Yes. All right. Well, I don't think you're going to be too disappointed or surprised. I'm just going to tell you that. Okay, that's good, I think. Uh, so, look, I've seen this movie a few times in the past. Um, growing up, I saw mostly just clips of it. Uh, around the time I was in college, late high school age, early 20s, something like that, I watched it all the way through. I remember feeling super creepy, but I also remember thinking, man, this is this is not The Shining. I had just read the book then, so the book was fresh in my mind, and I watched this, and I'm like... Man, like I'm super creeped out, but this is no, like this is too weird. It's too out there. I don't like it. Um, and as a result, I kind of was like, you know, I think Kubrick's weird. I don't think Kubrick's for me. Uh, fast forward to Paths of Glory, which was a show we did several episodes ago, and I was blown away by that movie. I thought it was incredible. Uh, I loved it. Um, and so I, I'm entering into this movie. Uh, with a bit of a jaded past, but uh, with optimism, because uh, I really liked Paths of Glory, and I thought, well, maybe I've grown up a little bit, and this movie will really start to um, <clears throat> shine. <laughs> uh, so I did. I uh, I put all this in my head. Uh, I did my best to blank slate everything with this movie. Uh, sat down in a dark room, lit a candle, and I fired it up. Right. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to report back to you, honestly, John. And that's exactly what I'm about to do. That's all I'm asking. Honestly, uh, this movie is an absolute masterpiece. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, from the very first scene of Jack Torrance driving in, you can see the title card down below me if you're watching on video. It's a bright, shiny day. He's in his little yellow Volkswagen and he's just driving. And that's all he's doing. He's driving down a windy road, up mountains and into snow, up to the overlook. Um, from that very scene, it starts getting creepy and it just cranks it and cranks it and cranks it. And it never lets up. It just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, it's phenomenal. Uh, the, the, the creepiness holds on until the very, very end when the credits roll. Um I cannot think of a horror movie that really like portrays horror in a way that I like more than this movie. Um, you know, for me, the, the best horror movies are the ones that kind of forego the jump scare effects and go for just all in atmosphere and creepiness and that feeling of like, terror or discomfort that just kind of washes over you. I feel like those are the best horror movies. That's entirely a personal opinion, but it's how I feel personally. 
And this movie is a it's a freaking masterclass in that. Um, there's no jump scares at all, hardly. I don't think. I don't think there's a one in this movie. And it's just solid atmosphere and dread. And the the unsettling imagery, the the music, all of it, like the cinematography, it all combines to this perfect picture of just just scary, just horror, right? And uh, yeah, man, it's just it's just damn good. Uh, it really is. The, the story is amazing. So if you're not familiar with the story, uh, we've got a family uh, whose husband takes a job as the caretaker of a hotel that's way up in the mountains of Colorado. Uh, this hotel closes down five months a year because of the deep snows and the inaccessibility of it. And they hire a caretaker to make sure that the place stays in good shape over those those months. That position is isolated away from the world and up in the snowy mountains of Colorado. Um, the guy basically gets into this place. Uh, the place is a little bit haunted. He goes a little bit nuts and he tries to kill his entire family. I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, why did he go crazy? Was it the house? Was he already crazy? And just the being alone and isolated exacerbated that in his head. We never find out. This movie doesn't tell us. Um, and you know what? It doesn't matter. The, the fact that we don't know makes it better even uh, because it leaves questions that you can keep turning in your head when the credits roll. It's great. Being confused actually adds to the atmosphere thing that I'm talking about. You know, you don't know what's going on. Neither do the characters. Nobody knows. Jack, Jack's just insane. Like, it, I don't know. It's great. Um, acting wise. Uh, there's a small cast in this. Um, if you look widescreen and extras and everything, it gets big. But the main cast is really pretty small. You can nail it down to about four characters. Um, all of their performances, I felt, were just amazing. Um, I want to say that when the movie opens, some of the performances felt a little bit forced to me. Um, in particular, before they're in the hotel, when they're like driving into the car, things like that. Some of those felt a little artificial. Uh, but once we get into the meat of this movie, uh, everyone's locked in the hotel. You've got grade A world-class acting going on from all three of our main characters. Uh, Shelley Duvall, Jack Nicholson, and uh, Danny. Uh, Danny Lloyd. Lloyd. Danny Lloyd. Um, just amazing. Um, you see Jack go on insane, insane. You see Shelley lose it because of what's going on with Jack. And you see Danny trying to deal with all this from the perspective of a child and um, holy crap, does he do a good job for, for a kid actor uh, cinematography and uh, directing. Honestly, John, it doesn't get better than this. Um, freaking we're constantly barraged with uncomfortable shots that just feel a little bit off. Right. Like if you watch the if you watch it, you're like, OK, this is a cool thing. I see what's going on. But there's something about the shot that's a little bit weird and it's always subtle. And like like maybe the camera's going at a weird angle down a hall instead of going parallel. It's slightly slanting or maybe the camera will kind of curve the image just a, just a little bit enough to make you be like something's not right. This is weird. And it's it's phenomenal. Like it's so subtle and it's so effective at the same time. Um, 
even in the opening shots when we're doing these flyovers of the car, right? Like instead of following the car, we're doing these weird kind of angly moves and it doesn't feel right and just adds to it. Um, you know, this movie is studied in film schools and in movie appreciation schools a lot for this. And, um, you know, it's easy to see why they do that. This is this is hands down some of the best cinematography I think since ever been done. Um, the music, so good. This this movie has no theme. It's just a bunch of like screams and crashes and eerie sounds that sound somewhat like a melody sometimes, but all it does is serve to make you feel super uncomfortable. Um, you'll hear horn blasting, you'll hear moans and crashes, and you'll hear strings going, you know, lots of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and you've got all of this stuff mixed together in different combinations and solos that makes some of the most terrifying emotions that I've ever felt just from sound. Um, Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkine, I think, are the people responsible for this mu- music. And, uh, the work's masterful. It's original and it's super effective. Um, so here you go, John. In summary, uh, this movie's a legend. It's a it's an absolute legend of a movie. I don't know why I didn't catch on to this earlier in my viewings when I saw it when I was younger, but thankfully this time it it surely did. Um, I really don't have much negative to say about this film at all. Uh, the the only thing, if I had to pick, is that it's kind of a crappy adaptation of the story in the novel. Um, oh it's, yeah, it's it you know, and that it's kind of famous for that. It, it doesn't do a very good job of telling the original story. Uh, yeah. However, uh, this movie is an absolute work of art, um, a, a masterpiece work of art. And so, if you're a big fan of the book The Shining, this is my recommendation to you. And I've been talking for forever, but I had a lot to say, so I'm sorry. Forget you've ever read the book. Throw the book out the window and just go into this movie new, right? Don't look at it as an adaptation of Stephen King's The Shining. Instead, look at it as its own thing, its own movie. And uh, my gosh, how marks. Awesome. That's what I think on this film. Well, you made my day. <laughs> I'm sitting here in my own sweat because it's 83 degrees in my house. And I was dreading Matt's review where he was going to say, this is a pile of poopy. <laughs> but no, he totally redeemed himself. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it, man. I, I, I'm being completely honest. I absolutely just was blown away by it. I don't know what I was missing earlier on. Well, I mean, I think as we've discovered throughout the years, it depends on when you watch a movie and possibly you needed to watch Paths of Glory right. before you watch The Shining again or whatever, possible. whatever, because I don't I don't know the last time you actually tried to watch it. I mean, I'm I don't have a lot of extra to say. I'll probably just kind of hit some of the points that Matt brought up. Um, 100 percent agree. First off, this is a perfect movie. Uh, I can't think of a single moment in the movie that I would change. 
you mentioned up front that the the acting at the beginning is kind of forced. I don't think so. I think if you're talking about Jack Torrance's performance or maybe even uh, the care Allman was his name. Allman. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think those were fine. Uh, I believe the intention was that we were to think that Jack was already insane before he even came to the, the hotel. Uh, mm. But that's up for debate. Debate, And they they purpose, purposefully make it ambiguous um, so that you can kind of decide for yourself how things went down. Uh, it is a masterpiece. Everything from the camera work to the set design to the acting to the score to the effects. I mean, everything is done expertly. Uh, one of the things that I noticed was the hotel that they used as uh, for the set. Everything was looked like it was meticulously added for the express purpose of this story. Um, it has this old like seventies, uh, carpet, like the, the hotel has been around for forever, but it looked like they may have renovated it for in the seventies or, or whatever, which you would think would make it kind of outdated, but it just adds to the atmosphere of the story they're trying to tell here. And it doesn't feel outdated. No, no, nothing in this movie really feels outdated, in my opinion. Um, the camera shots, yeah. I mean, I don't know how they got some of the shots in the opening. Like, I assume they use like a helicopter or something. But there's one point where they get really yes, close. Yes, or to they that. get right next to the car. Yeah. How did they do I that? I thought the exact same thing. This was before drones. Yeah, there are no drones. So I have no idea how they did that. You would, you would, I'm. Now that I'm thinking about it, maybe they had a car that was driving alongside them and a helicopter. No, they couldn't have, unless they transitioned to the camera to the yeah. helicopter somehow. Spliced it, somehow spliced it in editing. I'm not sure. That's the only thing I can oh, think no. of. But it's an incredible shot, though. It was awesome. Um, I noticed that very same, same thing. I was like, how did they do that? Yeah. Uh, the shots where, and he Kubrick used this a lot, where it's a behind-the-back shot. And going around corners, that is such oh, a great nice. way to build suspense, even if there's nothing there around the corner, which most of the times there isn't. But you have no idea what's around that corner until the camera comes around and the people that have turned the corner are already around the corner. Uh, it, it was great. He used that a lot in the hotel and in the hedge maze. And, you know, he does it from both angles, too. A lot of times he'll be in front of the characters with them walking towards you. And then a lot of times he'll switch it and you're walking behind them. Um, you mentioned that there was no theme. I agree. However, if I play for if I play for you the opening score, you know, you will know now what that is from. Like, it's so unique and iconic that and once we get to watch Dr. Sleep, they use that score in that movie. And as soon as it effect, started, I imagine. yeah, as soon as it started, I was like, oh, it's awesome. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm not really doing a hot. I'm just piggybacking off of your stuff, but because my review is basically the same as yours. Um, we've done three movies that have starred Jack Nicholson on this podcast, and I'm not sad about it. The guy is just brilliant. Everything he does is amazing. 
the the story is intriguing. It's purposefully ambiguous and vague. Is Jack crazy? Is the hotel causing him to be this way? What kind of powers does Danny have? Uh, how powerful is Danny? Like all these questions are asked. Some of them are answered, and then some of them they leave up to the viewer. Um, <clears throat> I love how they break up this movie into chapters of a book almost. And they mm-hmm. start with one month later, then they go into days of the week, then they go into time, time of the day. And that adds yeah. to the tension. Just narrow it down, yeah, narrowing more, it down, more, narrowing more. it down. It's awesome. Um, the frequent shots of outside showing the snow drifts slowly piling up over the hotel to the point where the snow drifts are as high as the hotel are. That was awesome. It just shows how isolated they are and how alone they are. And no one can get like they, they leave. They (laughs) Kubrick is telling the audience, don't even think about, well, what if someone could get up there? No one can get up there. There's no help. I don't, like I said, I don't have any nitpicks um, other than, and we'll talk about this, uh, what characters can see what things at the hotel, like they establish Mm -hmm. that the reason why certain people can see certain things, but then later on, it's like everybody can see certain things, uh, but we can talk about that. Sure. Overall, one of the best movies ever made. Go see it if you haven't. Uh, oh, with regards to the book, I was going to mention that it is nothing. It is almost nothing like the book. However, it has enough nods that I think as long as you know, going into it, that it's not the same story, but it has some of the same characters. You'll appreciate it for the nods that it makes, but this is almost a psychological thriller more than a horror movie. This is a horror. Stephen King's shining is a horror horror novel. The shining Kubrick is a psychological thriller. Anyway, uh, I recommend it. I do too. I highly, highly recommend it. Let's get into the details. I love how they start it. It's just this nonchalant, like car driving up a windy road alone. Like you don't ever see any other vehicles. And you you do, got, you, I think you see like one or two, but you don't see very many. Okay, I don't. I don't. I remember, remember specifically him driving past one one car. Okay, because I was pretty enamored by the opening too. Right. <laughs> um, and you've got this helicopter tracking shot. We assume, mm-hmm. uh, kind of winding its way, following the vehicle, and this, yeah, this uh, the music c- cacophonous like horn. Yeah, like you you listen to that. The only thing you can think about is, uh oh, like Mm -hmm. what's about to happen. But nothing really happens in the opening. (laughs) And I want to talk about those helicopter shots. Uh, I mentioned this in my review, but, you know, it's a simple car. I say simple, but I mean, it's a standard car tracking scene. You know, mm. you've got a helicopter. It's looking down as this car, this tiny little yellow VW bug snakes through the mountains. But I mean, I think even if you take the music out, which the music adds to the creepiness there, there's always something like a little off about the angle of the helicopter or the shot. And this this is those kind of subtleties that I was alluding to or just 
basically throwing in your face, I guess not alluding to. <laughs> Where, like, I think even without the music, this scene would be creepy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, it's never just following the car. It's always on some kind of a weird path across the car's path, you know, behind it. But, like, going behind it at an angle, not not straight. Right. Like, or maybe it's, like, slightly changing altitude or... It could be that instead of a flat shot, you've got a tilted shot, but right. there, there's always something subtle there that really just, I mean, from the beginning, you start feeling uneasy yeah. from a, from a sunshiny drive in the middle of a sunlit forest with mountains in the background. You're just like, okay, <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Yeah. And when you think about it, I don't think there are, there are very few standard shots or standard scenes in this movie. Like every, almost every shot either has a creepy score overlay, a weird camera shot, or a weird uh, something that the actor is doing that's weird. Or yeah, horrific. I mean, almost every shot in this movie is is one of those long pans where you're behind someone or in front of them. Yeah, I mean, occasionally the, the camera will sit still so that we can see. Uh, a scene play out, but I mean, almost every shot, the camera is moving slowly with the characters over a long period of time. Mm-hmm. So that opening is, it just sets the mood. <laughs> it gets you geared up and ready for what is about to happen. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the other question or the question I have to you that I definitely wanted to talk about before anything else is, and we've sort of, padded around it in the uh, review, but there are theories that say that Jack Torrance was already insane before he, he came to the hotel. And then there are theories that the house or the hotel caused him to go insane. There are theories that just because he was like, it was a cabin fever thing. Like it didn't have anything to do with the hotel. It was the fact that he was isolated and that's why. He went insane. What do you think? What is your theory? I think, honestly, we could have an entire podcast discussing that question. (laughs) Um, You know, it's my inclination and my gut tells me that he was he had a lot of problems. He had a lot of emotional issues, but I don't think he was insane. I think when he got up in that cabin, the forces in that cabin started working on him. And it drove him to it. I, I don't think he was like that originally. But then you, you think about the scene where he's talking to uh, Grady and Grady tells him, you're the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker. And then you're like, well, wait a minute. OK, what does that mean? What, are they going back to before he was at the hotel? Like, you, you never really know. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that question is one of the reasons I like this movie so much. Because uh, mm-hmm. you really don't. There's no answer. The, the answer is whatever you personally interpret the answer to be. Um, and, and it's it's a question that really makes you think about it a lot. Yeah. And, and no joke, I think we could probably spend 30 minutes to an hour just discussing that question. Yeah, the <clears throat> there's so many things that make you think one way or the other. And it's for me, it was it's different per viewing. Like the last time I watched it, I was certain that Jack went insane while he was at the hotel and it was the hotel itself that, that did it. Um, but this viewing, I paid more attention to the opening scene 
and he he's acting pretty weird on that oh, drive definitely. to the hotel. <laughs> yeah, for sure he does. No, he's, no question. <laughs> he's talking so uh, almost gleefully or nonchalant about the Donner Party to his son, <laughs> and uh, Danny's like, "Oh, I already knew about them, or whatever." Or he knew he knew about cannibalism, and mm-hmm. Jack's like, "Oh." See Wendy, he saw it on TV. <laughs> it's like he's he's he's. It's hard to parse Jack Nicholson because he always looks insane. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't tell if he was trying to tell the audience that he was already insane or if that was just him being him himself. <clears throat> and then his interview uh, at the at the hotel was weird. Um, so. And See, I view. didn't get that weird of a vibe from the interview. I mean, there were some awkward pauses, and it was a little awkward, but I didn't get anything sinister from it. Not sinister, just uh, off kilter, I guess. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment, uh, this was a weird shot, but there's a moment where, so Ullman brings in this other guy. I guess he's sort of like a, mm-hmm. I don't know who he is. He's like, he's like number two, yeah. number two in charge. Anyway, there's a shot that kind of lingers a little too long, and it's a, he's just seriously staring at Jack. Like a lo- lost stare or even, I don't know, maybe menacing, but I couldn't tell what that was about. That was really weird. Um, but anyway, like I said, I, I got a different take on it this time. And, and maybe yeah, we I didn't should notice that. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's something we should mention, too. I, I feel like this is a movie that the more you watch it, the more you'll see. There's so oh. much going on in this. Like, it definitely warrants multiple viewings. Yeah, and as as uh, weird as it sounds, this is not a movie that you, you watch once. Like, it's a movie mm-hmm. you want to watch multiple times, at least for me. Yeah. Like, uh, this, this, to me, it could be every year around October. Like, watch The Shining. Um. We should probably kind of shortly gloss over the book a little bit, maybe. That'll have to be you because okay. I read it like 30 years ago. Well, <laughs> Not quite, but a long, long time ago. <laughs> All I want to say is that the book is basically these same characters. They live in Colorado. They do the same thing. They move to the Overlook Hotel. Um, Jack. Jack, who is his name is John in the book. He gets a job as the caretaker for the Overlook. The difference, the big difference is that John finds this scrapbook of the Overlook and that's in the Overlook Hotel. And that drives him to write a story about the Overlook. And he is very clearly haunted and pushed into being going insane in that book. Whereas... Whereas the movie is more ambiguous. That's all I want to say. No, I'm jumping topics. So I apologize for that. But um, he does. He starts getting real snippy with Wendy, who's Shelley Duvall's character and his wife really early on. Yes. Like, I mean, just like like the first month, he starts getting real mean with her. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so, you know. Again, it's interpretation. Was that the was that you know the the house working on him, or was it 
the isolation starting to creep in and starting to hit him. Because yeah. you know, we, we found out earlier in the movie that he did he dislocated Danny's shoulder. He came home drunk one day. Danny had taken some of his uh, writing and like thrown it on the floor. And he got angry and he tried to pull Danny up and he pulled too hard and basically pulled his shoulder out of socket. Um, he see there's a scene where he looks like you see a glimpse of him being sincere and fighting against it, where he says, I didn't really, I didn't mean to do it. I just did it too hard. But then, you know, you start questioning that and you just you never know. <laughs> he does it so perfectly. Man, he really does. Watching Jack Nicholson go insane in this movie is just wow. Like, wow. There was a there's a scene where he's sitting on his bed and Danny's tiptoeing into the room just to get his fire truck or something. And he beckons Danny over and sits him on his lap And in my notes, I was about to write, you know, this is a genuine moment from Jack. Like he's going to talk to his son in a genuine, sincere way. But then I kept watching and I forgot that he's also really insane in that moment as well. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like he's asking, you know, basically accusing Wendy of doing something. And Danny's like, no, no, she didn't say that. And yeah, basically... Danny asks, or he asks, Danny asks Jack if he would ever hurt him or his mommy. And Jack comes back, well, did your mom put that idea in your head? That's right. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll get to this, but that scene was one of the creepiest and most well-executed scene in the entire movie. Uh, Well, speaking of Danny, Danny has an ability called... The Shine or Shining. Those familiar with Stephen King will probably be also familiar with that term. And it's this ability. He It's a sort of psychic ability where he can see things that other people can't, hear things that other people can't. And he has a... There's a man at the hotel named Dick Halloran, and he also has The Shine. And Dick kind of talks to Danny and they become uh, sort of close within the short period of time that they can. Anyway, in the book, they had they developed a closer bond. But uh, Dick kind of tells Danny, you know, other people have this uh, more people than you would think. And they can kind of communicate without speaking. And uh, that sort of establishes a lot of the things that happened to Danny throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. And he, Danny has this uh, friend who lives in his mouth <laughs> named Tony. And uh, Tony talks for Danny sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Through the whole film, I thought of Tony as kind of almost like a protective entity. Yeah. Like a spirit that, that, that's trying to protect uh, Danny and his gift. Uh, because whenever it gets real serious, you'll see Tony come out and talk to him. Mm-hmm. And this is another aspect of the movie that's left a little bit ambiguous because we see before they go to the hotel, Danny's standing in front of the mirror, um, brushing his teeth and he blacks out and um, he wakes up in bed. There's a doctor there who comes and talks to him. And so we find out that he's got some 
he maybe has some issues in his brain going on. Uh, we don't know exactly what that is. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he's a kid that sometimes spaces out and loses track of time. Um, and so it, it can also be interpreted that there's not a Tony. And this is all literally just in Danny's head. And it's a coping mechanism for the environment that he's put in. And yeah. it's never explained if it is or not. But yeah, personally, only- I took it as like a guardian entity, like something's oh, sure. watching over it. I, I definitely would too, because you know before uh, before Jack calls the house and says that he has the job, Danny already knows about it, and the reason he blacks out is he has a vision about the hotel, the bleeding or the blood coming through the elevator, like. <clears throat> I would consider uh, that more of a supernatural thing than a uh, actual brain function yeah. problem. And I mean, the the conversation he has with Dick um, kind of nailed, drives that home. Mm-hmm. But it, it's it's still out there, and you know, it's up an, for debate. It's an interpretation, yeah. And we've got Wendy, who is played by Shelley Duvall, and she does a really good job. Like she Amazing. is perfect at playing this. Uh, cheerful uh nothing gets her down kind of person uh and that adds all the more to what jack ends up well, saying and doing to her you know i don't want to get too into the in, did you know but she was infamously treated really really badly during the filming of this movie and it was uh, a lot of people speculate that that was intentional on cubic's part to bring out kind of a strain, a, a subtle kind of subconscious strain in her character. And man, can you detect it? I mean, yeah. you're right. She's got that kind of happy, sunny disposition, but you can almost feel this underlying tension that she's constantly carrying with her. Like when she, when she smokes a lot of times you see her hands, like when she goes to a lot of cigarette, her hands will shake or she'll, uh, she'll just kind of have, there'll just be like a split second where you can see like, in her eyes, this kind of unease that she's constantly carrying with her, this anxiety, maybe, mm-hmm. or worry. And uh, my gosh, like, like another masterful performance, right? I mean, Nicholson and Duvall both are just, I mean, some of the best acting I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. You, you definitely get the sense that she's, she's married to Jack. And she's staying with him because she has to, not necessarily because she loves him completely because of his yeah, past. Like almost like, um, like maybe she's too afraid to go to leave. Right. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because she finally, at one point in the movie, she's like, we're leaving. This is it. I'm, I'm, I'm getting out. But it took the events up <laughs> to that point to finally break her enough yeah. to go. And if you and, know, uh, knowing what those events are, it's yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, and I mean, the abuse that she constantly puts up with from Jack throughout the their stay at the hotel, um, it, it reveals a lot about her character. I think you know, it, it's you see that a lot commonly even today, where people get into these abusive relationships where they're either too scared to leave, or they're well, I guess this is also too scared to leave, but they're comfortable in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And they don't want to break it off because of that comfort. They're fear, afraid of leaving that and going into the unknown. Yeah. Um, their very identity is tied into that relationship. And, uh, you know, it's a sad thing, but uh, 
I feel like she portrays it in such a what in a masterful way. I guess it's just like even when she's being happy, I feel like you can you can feel it in her. The the, the thing that really stitches this movie together, I think, is the music. And there were points where I, I almost turned the volume down. Because of the high pitched, like constant, mm-hmm. I guess it was a horn, probably, but there were a lot of strings, or, high, yeah, high yeah, strings, like v- a violin vibrating, yeah, and it was just constant, like you know. And I agree to that note, right? Note they would even play, hey, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good catch, so. <laughs> uh, they would even play the this high tension music over happy scenes, peaceful scenes. Like, you know, you would see uh, Wendy and Danny playing in the hedge maze or something and just having a good time. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, they would just start cranking up that music. I love it. And for no reason other than to just make you uncomfortable. (laughs) It freaking works. Well, and probably because I wish I could remember if this was true or not, but I want to say that that music was played Anywhere around the hotel, but I don't think that's true. I think it was also played because there was yeah, th- there were scenes it was definitely we, played outside. Yeah. Well, I just mean like when Dick Halloran went to Florida, I'm trying to remember if it was played in his hotel or his room or not. I think probably it was. Um, at least it was when he was on the phone trying to talk. But I, I don't know that for sure either. I didn't watch it that close. Yeah. But uh. Yeah, probably wrong, but I got the sense that the hotel, anything, any scenes around the hotel it really amped up that music and had that tension mm-hmm. going because it re- it was really effective. And so the hedge maze, w- maze was part of that. Like, obviously, that maze ends up being very important <laughs> later mm-hmm. on. Um, but, yeah, even though they're they're out having fun, just running and walking around the, the maze that music is playing because they're still in the area. They're still um, in danger or there's still mm-hmm. something that could happen. Oh, and I loved, love, 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 loved. And it's probably here in this slideshow you've got going, but they're in the maze and Jack comes up. There's a model version of the maze in the hotel mm-hmm. and he looks down on it. And then it cuts to this top-down shot, and then you actually see Wendy and Danny in the middle of the maze, almost yeah. like he's he knows where they are. He's looking at them from from above. <laughs> that was so yeah. Good. That's an amazing transition, and it kind of catches you off guard because you don't know, right? Like, can he actually see them in there? Because he's got this crazy look on his face, kind of when he's looking at the maze. Mm-hmm. But then you you pan down and you're actually in the maze with him, and so it, it's another one of those where you're like, well, I I don't know, maybe he was, maybe maybe not, maybe it's just a cool transition shot. Yeah, another like you said, the ambiguousness, like maybe the hotel is showing him where they are, or mm-hmm. maybe he's just crazy and he's just looking at the maze. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, who knows? Maybe he's not crazy and he's just looking at the maze. <laughs> It could be any one of them. Uh, but the then there's another shot where it's just a <laughs> it's just a shot of Jack Nicholson and he's looking at the camera 
Oh my gosh! Like he's that been shot. like he's been lobotomized or something. And he's, yeah, he's just got this blank <laughs> stare while he stares out the window, unmoving, and the camera kind of gets closer and closer to him. Mm-hmm. That's that's the first time you see him, and you're like, oh my gosh, he's losing it, right? That's that's that is the point where you realize he's he's starting to crack. Yeah, yeah. So many good scenes. The the scenes in the room where he's typing, like you, like we mentioned up front, the the very first month in, she goes and asks him a question, and he just flies off the handle. He's like, "You're interrupting my creativity, <laughs> my flow. Don't come in here mm-hmm. if I'm in here. If you hear me typing, or you don't hear me typing, don't come in here." And she just, he just lets her have it. Yeah. He's like, "Well, do you understand?" And she's like, "Yeah." And he goes, well, "Why don't you start now?" And get the fuck out. And I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. It like it it, it ramps up to freaking a hundred real quick. Mm-hmm. And that so that scene makes all is all the more cool when you realize what he is typing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he won't uh, let her see the manuscript. Yeah. For the entire movie, and then she finally manages to see it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you notice when she goes in there for the first time. He's typing and she comes up behind him and he rips the paper out of the typewriter. Immediately. So cool. I. <laughs> it's awesome to know that's what he was doing the whole time. But we didn't mm-hmm. find out until probably an hour later in the movie. Yeah, near the end. Uh, I'll tell you one of my favorite scenes and I, I can't I don't know if I can explain why other than just the the visual of the scene. But um, Jack winds up chasing um, Danny out into the hedge maze. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene where Danny has a head start and, and Jack knows where he's at. And he's stalking outside, limping with this axe. And there's the shot of the hotel in the background. It's just winter ice, kind of a, an angle from the bottom looking up shot of Jack just kind of going like with this mad look on his face. Mm-hmm. And this hotel in the background. And that is one of the most amazing shots I've ever seen from a pure visual perspective. It, like, I wish I had a poster of that because it is, it, it blew my mind when I saw it. Like, I wanted to pause and go back and watch it over and over <laughs> again just because of that one visual. Yeah. Um, uh, talking about scenes, though, I can think of, uh, of two that, that I felt were, were particularly interesting. Maybe three. I like a whole bunch. The whole day yeah. movie's interesting. Yeah. Um, but the uh, the conversations he has with Lloyd at the bar and then with Grady in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Uh, two classic scenes. Mm-hmm. I love uh, those well, of so course, much. There's the famous scene where, he, you know, here's Johnny, <laughs> where he breaks through the, the bathroom. That's probably the most famous scene in this film. Little pig, little pig, let me in. Oh my gosh, Not he looks so crazy. <laughs> he looks so crazy when he's saying that. Um, uh, you know, we see this scene a lot, but the blood elevator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they reuse that scene a whole lot, understandably, because I'm sure it was ridiculously expensive to make that scene. But my gosh, what an effective and amazing scene that is. Yeah. Um, it, it's just, oh, it's so creepy. And all, all it's there for is to kind of evoke this creepiness but also maybe represent how much death is at the hotel 
how much mm-hmm. how much blood has been spilled. And you know, really, we only know about two of them, right? We know that Grady, the old caretaker, killed his wife and his daughters with an axe, and it's it's heavily implied. And if you read the book, it's this is what happens. But it's heavily implied in the film that the lady in room two three seven killed herself, mm-hmm. and and the book just straight tells you that's what happens. But in the book, it's a little more ambiguous. But I mean, that's it as far as we know in terms of deaths in this hotel. Yeah. But again, the movie's purpose is to be very vague. And so because we see other things via Wendy's eyes near the end, mm-hmm. my, I, my assumption was that a lot more happened there than, than we oh, actually saw. Yeah. I think that's pretty <clears throat> evident. Yeah. Uh, and that does kind of give me a little bit of a nitpick I have with this film. Oh, okay. um, so ready. the, the girls that were murdered, you know, uh, Danny comes across them several times when he's by himself and then they just go away and we never see him again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wish we had more story related to those two girls instead of them just appearing and then going away from the story. Like, I'll oh, forget about that. That's just their group. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little more explanation there would have been nice. Also a little more explanation about room 237 because we never really find out what, what went down there, you know, but you know, we know that Danny went in there and came out choked. We know that Jack went in there and saw this pretty lady and started getting all handsy with her. And then she turns <laughs> into like a rotted old lady corpse and he runs out, but that's it. Right. That's all we get about 237. Yeah. Uh, I wish the movie had taken just a little bit of more time to give us a little more explanation as to what's going on there. Um, not knowing does help a little bit, I guess, with the, the confusion aspect of it and the discomfort. But, um, you know, if you're going to introduce these things to us, give us, give us a little something, even if it's just a little bit, you know, yeah. with the girls, we got the little bit from the, the murdered two girls. Right. But with 237, we didn't get anything. And also the wife, what what happened to her? Why are the girls haunting the hotel and the wife's not? Is that 237 supposed to be the wife that he murdered? She didn't have axe wounds when she turned all ghost mode. Right. You know, who knows? Yeah. And there's even more than that. Like we see the, the dog costume guy giving the blowjob to the other oh dude. Oh my gosh. Which, if that's what he's doing, you don't really know. But well, what the heck is that thing all about? That's just weird. <laughs> That was in the book, so I know exactly what he was doing. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and then um, all the people in the gold bar room and Lloyd, like, we don't know anything about Lloyd. Like, Yeah, Lloyd was weird. Why does he know his name instantly? Why does Danny instantly know that his name's Lloyd? Yeah, and we can talk about that in maybe just a moment because we're at an hour and we can move into star okay. ratings. but. Yeah, just ambiguity everywhere, and it's just to keep the audience like confused and guessing. And I love everything about it. Like, I don't consider that a nitpick. I consider that a feature. <laughs> um, well, why don't we talk about the ending and okay. our th- our theories on what the ending means? <clears throat> uh, so, as Matt said at the ending, um. Danny runs into this large hedge hedge maze that takes about an hour to get through on a normal day. It's snowing outside, several foot snowdrifts. He's running away from his dad who's trying to kill him. 
and uh, Danny ends up outsmarting Jack in an awesome way by backtracking his steps and then get, getting rid of his steps to throw Jack off, and then he exits the maze. Yeah, just to add to that, as he runs into the maze, he's obviously leaving pretty deep footprints. Jack has been hurt because he got knocked in the head with a baseball bat and fell down some stairs. He's chasing Danny, but he's not near as fast. And so he's chasing him by following his footprints through the maze. And so that that's why he's backtracking. He, he, he knew his dad was following him. And so he backtracked and hid. And then when his dad wandered off, he followed his own footsteps to get out of the maze really quick. Yeah. Great. Like all of it to me made sense. Like I didn't have mm-hmm. a question about how this was happening and happening at all. Um, so he the, gets out. The only issue I had, and I'm sorry, you're, you're trying to roll, and I keep stopping you. the The only issue I had was, um, you know, Jack winds up freezing to death, mm-hmm. and um, it, it bothered me that he so quickly froze to death. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. like Danny's been out there longer than Jack. He's he's a young boy mm-hmm. and he, he's running and doing fine. But Jack is like, uh, and then he just sits down and basically dies. Yeah. Now, I, gr- I grant that he was injured, right? He had a head wound. He was limping. But I, it bothered me that he so quickly was just sat down and froze to death. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. The, so if you notice, he starts to lose his ability to speak clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he does. I got the sense that maybe because he was breathing so heavily, because he was injured, he was going into hypothermia quicker than Danny was just because Danny wasn't he wasn't injured and he wasn't like gasping for breath like Jack was. Mm-hmm. And that's the only I mean, that's I mean, that's, that's true. My, and That's, if you watch that scene, he, he also he, he almost looks like his chest is hurt, like like he's covering, like he's holding against a wound on his chest. Yeah, we never see that happen, so maybe that's a cut scene or something. Uh, but it looked like he had, he had been hurt at some point. Yeah, that we just didn't see. Side note: If you read a lot of Stephen King, what you will notice is that he likes to give his characters heart conditions, <laughs> and so maybe. Uh, Jack had had a, was having a heart attack or something while he was chasing uh, chasing Danny. But anyway, that can be a sentimenty. We can talk about that. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> sorry to derail you again. I'll, I'll stop now. Um, anyway, the next morning, I guess they show they show a cut and they show uh, Jack has frozen, and then they uh, pan it. They go into the house and they zoom in on this black and white photo. That's in the hotel, and it's uh, from 1921, and it's in the gold bar room, and it shows a bunch of patrons. And then at the bottom, in dead center, is Jack Nicholson's face. Um, So what is your theory? So I've read some things, but I I had my own theory, and then I read some things. So what is your theory on what this means? I think it goes back to his conversation with Grady where he accuses Grady of murdering his wife and kids and says, you were the caretaker and Grady's like, no, you've always been the caretaker. I I think, I think that was the house claiming him. 
Uh, and, and, you know, I think any subsequent caretakers who have issues that show up there will run across Jack, maybe tending the bar or, you know, maybe doing something else. But um, I, I think that was a sign that the hotel won. That's kind of how I took that. I, that was that is my interpretation is that uh, he is the caretaker. He was claimed by the hotel and so his face ended up in that old photo and mm-hmm. everybody in that photo has been taken by the hotel in, in some mm-hmm. way or, or form I didn't think about that I, think, However, I mean maybe yeah. yeah however according to Stanley Kubrick the man who made the movie uh, he says that the hotel is luring reincarnation Carnated versions of Grady and mm. Torrance. And so Jack Torrance is the reincarnated version of the caretaker that was there in 1921. And that's how he knows who Lloyd is. That's how he, uh, and that's why Grady had no memory of killing his children because he was not the Grady that killed his children 10 years mm. ago. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I would not. I would not have ever get ever had that. But that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Pretty cool. Yeah, I still like to think about it in my my way. But I like I like that answer too. Star ratings. What do you? What is your star rating? Um, so I absolutely love this movie. It, it's a masterpiece. It's one of the the best horror movies ever made. Um, it's one of the best movies ever made. Um. That said, I don't think it's perfect. I'm not going to go as far as you go. Um, I think it's an absolute masterpiece, but I don't think it's perfect. Uh, And so because of that, um, I I can't give it the 10. So uh, I'm going to take it down. I'm going to give it the 9. I will admit I considered a 10 on this. But um, I I just don't feel right. Something doesn't set right giving this a 10. Uh, It it didn't quite have the, uh, the emotional impact that uh, Harakiri did for me. Uh, but it's still incredible. Um, I, w- I would happily watch this over and over again. And so I'm going to come in with a very solid, uh, if not slightly weighted up, nine. Okay. Um, well, I probably didn't, def- well, not defend is the wrong word because we both liked it, but I probably didn't describe my how much I love this movie uh, very well, but it is just, I do think it's perfect. It has a perfect cast, has a perfect score. It has a perfect ambient ambience or atmosphere. Ambiance. Ambiance. Uh, I love the story. I love the idea of the questions around whether Jack is insane all the whole time or if this is some haunting or if it's just cabin fever. I love the ending. Um, Dick Halloran, we didn't even talk about him very much, but he is awesome as uh, the uh, Scatman Scatman Crothers. Yeah. He is great as uh, the kitchen cook. Yeah, he is. Um, We didn't, we didn't talk about his room where he has some interesting posters. Um, he does indeed. <laughs> uh, he's, he's the coolest. Um, 
it's just all around a wonderful movie and I can watch it and I have watched it multiple times. Um, and like, like we talked about, I found a different take on it this time. Uh, and I agree with Matt. The more you watch it, the more you're going to find things, the more you're going to notice things about the movie that you didn't notice previous. Um, it's just, it's just great. And Stanley Kubrick, like he is one of the best directors of all time. Uh, his camera work, his attention to detail, his weirdness, like all of that falls in line with, with my uh, taste. So I've got to get this a 10 out of 10. We need a sound clip to play when yeah. somebody drops a 10 on the podcast. This is your second 10 now. I'll find one. <laughs> yeah, second 10 and not too uh, not uh, too far apart. Although so I, you've heard it here, folks. <laughs> John yeah. Murphy holds The Shining on the same pedestal as Best of the Best. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> um, <laughs> we should have like... We should have like 10 out of 10. A golden 10 or something. <laughs> yeah, like a way to distinguish. A spicy 10. Because uh... I recognize that best of the best is not a critical 10 out of 10. But it, for me, it's a 10 out of 10. But The it's Shining personal. is technically both. Like it's a personal 10 out of 10, but it's also a critical 10 out of 10. Uh, hmm. So anyway. Let's do some Spice Awards. Let's do it. Spice Awards. We have one, two, three, four, five categories tonight. Best actor, most underrated performance, favorite scene, favorite thrilling moment, and favorite quote. Best actor, Matt Hurdle. All right, so it's almost impossible to choose between the three main characters to me. Hmm. Um, watching Jack Nicholson go crazy is just, uh, it's phenomenal. Watching Shelley Duvall deal with all this happening as, as kind of the, the normal lady that has this underlying layer of anxiety and fear uh, that gets brought to the surface, um, masterful. Watching Danny, who, how old was he in this film? Like nine? Like, it, it's one of the best child acting performances I've ever seen. Uh, the way he deals with everything, the way he shows the terror and the way he shows his unease. And he's also like keeping that with a layer of childhood innocence. It's just amazing. Um, you know, I had such a hard time, trouble, hard time choosing this award that I didn't even put an answer down. <laughs> um, I, I want to say all three of them. Um, I can't, though. Yeah, I have yeah. to choose one. So I guess if I have to choose, I, I'm going to go with Jack just because if you watch his face when he's in full on insane murder mode, like 
it's just so unsettling, like the way he looks and the way his character transitions over the course. Um, it's it's just grade A. But I, I'll be honest, if I could, I would pick all three of them. What do you want me to do about it? Oh, come on, hon. Don't be so grouchy. I'm not being grouchy. I just want to finish my work. Okay, I understand. I'll come back later on with a couple of sandwiches for you and maybe you'll let me read something then. Wendy, <clears throat> let me explain something to you. Whenever you come in here and interrupt me, you're breaking my concentration. You're distracting me. And it will then take me time to get back to where I was. Understand? Yeah. Fine. And we're going to make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, what the fuck you hear me doing in here when I'm in here, that means that I am working. That means don't come in. Now, do you think you can handle that? Yeah. Fine. Why don't you start right now and get the fuck out of here? Yeah, I I get where you're coming from. I I firmly believe that all three of them were great performances. Um all of the three of them were doing different things because they had to. Um but Jack Nicholson, I feel like his job was the hardest. Uh because he I don't had know. I don't know if Shelley Duvall's job was really hard too. Yeah. But he had to like Shelley Duvall, you get where she's coming from. She's cheerful. She's clearly a little bit like she doesn't want to be here kind of thing. And then she goes into freak out mode because Jack Nicholson's going insane. Um so yeah, I it was probably difficult, but it's a it's a normal performance like or it's a it's a performance that makes sense. Jack Nicholson's performance, he has to be very deliberate in what he's doing because he's got to make you think or question, is he crazy or is he being possessed or is he not really crazy at certain times? And I thought that was the more difficult job and that's mm-hmm. I picked him obviously um so that's why I picked him is cuz I felt like it's got to take some work to to do what he did I mean I I agree with you but just to counteract it a little bit right I mean showing the the layers of fear that Shelley Duvall showed and that Danny showed is also really really difficult I think you know, mm-hmm. to be in a studio and to have to display fear that is that convincing, it's tough, man. It's got to be. Oh, yeah. No, I don't want to I don't want to take anything away from her or Danny Lloyd's performance. But I just think that I think that Jack Nicholson carries this movie. Uh, mm-hmm. He's kind of the driving force behind it. I mean, it just... And obviously, I'm a Nicholson fan. That's gonna weigh in more with yeah. with my pick than, uh, you know, Shelley Duvall. I don't even think I 
can remember another movie I've seen her in. Or especially Danny Lloyd. Well, Danny Lloyd, I think, has only been in three films. Yeah. Ever. And I think one of them was like a documentary about The Shining. Annie uh, Hall. Shelley Duvall. Yeah, Annie Hall. She's yeah. also in Popeye. I've not seen um, Popeye. She she's a very famous actress, but I don't I don't think I don't know. Like I don't know a lot of movies she's done either, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Annie Hall is a good movie though. Okay. Uh, best actor pick uh, for both of us was Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to belittle the other performances, but in my notes, I put Jack Nicholson as Jack Torrance. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, most underrated performance, Matt. This one was a lot easier for me um, <laughs> because there was a standout, in my okay. opinion. Okay. Uh, that standout was 100% Philip Stone, who played Grady. I recognize you. I saw your picture in the newspapers. You, uh, chopped your wife and daughter up into little bits. And, uh, then you blew your brains out. Strange, sir. I don't have any recollection of that at all. Mr. Grady, you were the caretaker here. I'm sorry to differ with you, sir. But you... You've always been the caretaker. I should know, sir. I've always been here. Uh, Grady was a butler ghost uh, who it was insinuated was the, the past caretaker who uh, killed his family with an axe and then shot himself. But he has several conversations with Jack, and his acting is just stone cold, creepy, uh, and just, oh, it's so good. Uh, every second he was on screen, I was just riveted, which I was anyway, because the movie was great. But mm-hmm. uh, he really stole the scenes, and he stole scenes from Jack, that's no small feat. <laughs> uh, I, I, like phenomenal, phenomenal work for such a small role. So hands down, easy pick for me. Uh, Philip Stone gets that one. I corrected them. Um, <clears throat> I, I went with Scatman Crothers as Dick Halloran. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I can remember when I was a little boy, my grandmother and I could hold conversations entirely without ever opening our mouths. She called it shiny. And for a long time, I thought it was just the two of us that had the shine to us. Just like you probably thought you was the only one. 
But there are other folks, though mostly they don't know it or don't believe it. How long have you been able to do it? And this guy is so freaking cool. I love how he explains the shining to Danny. Uh, he has those interesting posters. <laughs> I loved his character. He has kind of this grandfatherly, fatherly, friendly figure to Danny. And it seems like he's not scared of anything. Um, he tries to do what's right. And he wants to help the Torrances out and help Danny out. He knows something's going on because Danny has communicated to him that something's going on. Uh, he meets an untimely end. Uh, but every time he was on the, on the screen, I, I loved it. Uh, he's got a, in particular, he's got a really good quote, uh, at the beginning of the movie when he's talking to Danny and just really good stuff. I liked it a lot. Yeah, he did great. But then I think everybody did great. Yeah, that all the performances <laughs> were were awesome. Uh, most underrated performance, Matt's pick was Phillips Philip Stone as Grady, uh, and my pick was Scatman Crothers as Dick Halloran. Favorite scene. So. It always feels a little weird for me to try to pick a favorite scene when we're talking about a horror movie. Because, you know, especially movies like this, where the whole movie is designed to make you feel just super uncomfortable throughout the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, that said, scene. I've kind of, I've, I've got it narrowed down to two scenes. Well, okay. I have two scenes. One that won and one that I want to mention as another really great scene. Uh, the one that I wound up giving it to, the, the winner, at least by, for me, is uh, the scene where Jack is stalking Wendy up the stairs. And she has the bat. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> Stay away from me. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Stop swinging the bat. Stay away from me. Put the bat down, Wendy. Stop it! Wendy, give me the bat. Please! Get away! Give me the bat. Stop it! Give me the bat. Stop swinging the bat. Please, stop! Give me the bat, Wendy. Wendy! Give me the bat. You've got a very slow, long hand shot of the camera moving up the stairs and both of them advancing with the camera, like step, step, step. Every step, uh, Jack Nicholson is given some amazing quotable lines. You know, uh, Wendy, light of my life. <laughs> yeah, it's so Apple good. My eye. I don't want to hurt you. You didn't let me finish. I said, I don't want to hurt you. I just want to bash your brains in. And she's like breaking down and kind of like half weak swinging this bat around. And oh my gosh, what a scene. It is so tense and it's just, ah, it's so good. Jeff's kiss. 
Yep. That's and a I'll, great I'll scene. I'll let you tell your scene and then I'll mention the other one that I really loved. All right. Uh, my favorite scene is the scene where Jack is talking to Danny in their bedroom. Having a good time? Yes, Dad. Good. I want you to have a good time. I am, Dad. Dad? Yes. Do you feel bad? No. Just a little bit tired. Then why don't you go to sleep? I can't. I got too much to do. Dad? You like this hotel? Yeah. I do. I love it. Don't you? I guess so. Good. Um, it is a super like it here. creepy moment. It's, you, you're thinking it's going to be a father-son talk, like maybe Jack's lucid because he just woke up, but no, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah, like like uh, he wants to get his fire truck, and Wendy won't let him go because his dad's asleep, and he he little boys him his way in to get them to go. Mm-hmm. And when he goes in there, Jack's not asleep. He's sitting just straight up, staring out the window with a blank face. And yeah. he sees, they just look at each other. And Jack does that thing where he doesn't move his body. He just moves his head and looks and sees it. And they lock eyes. And it's, instantly, you're just like, oh, crap. Yep. There's a, there's a mirror in that room. And so the camera is behind Jack Nicholson's head. And it's pointing this way towards Danny. And if you're watching the video, you can see my hand motions. Um, (laughs) And so you see Jack's face in the mirror, but you just see the back of his head uh, behind the camera or in front of the camera. And he has such an evil look in the mirror. But and from the back, it almost you can't see his emotion. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a Jekyll Jekyll and Mr. Hyde kind of thing. I thought and maybe that wasn't the purpose, but. That's kind of what I took away from it was that, you know, two sides of a, of a coin. You can see I, the evil, but you can also see just a normal dude like a father. <clears throat> yeah. um, I really like that scene a lot. Yeah. So um, what was your uh, your backup? The, the backup, the honorable mention, the one that I almost chose was that scene. Oh. <laughs> that was a, it was an extremely unsettling and powerful scene. And it sticks with you, you know, mm-hmm. especially as a as a dad to a kid that's, you know, he's five. But um, that scene, it, it really like the whole time I was just watching it. And then when it was over, I was just like, oh, <laughs> like I just finished running or something. Yeah, it was so tense. Like you just it was it was amazing. Well, yeah, if, that if, scene, that scene was amazing. 
if you haven't seen the movie before, you don't know if Jack's going to like wring his neck or hit him or whatever, whatever, you know, you have no idea mm-hmm. or cuss him out. Like, uh, there's no, you, you have no idea. So it's so tension filled. I'm glad I waited because <laughs> I would have, I would have felt bad if I picked my scene as my honorable mention. It was yours. That, uh-huh. that is specifically just in case of that <laughs> happening is why I was like, I'm going to wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. My favorite scene was the scene where Jack is talking to Danny in their bedroom. And Matt's favorite scene was when Jack is stalking Wendy up the staircase. Favorite thrilling moment. This is another tough one because the whole movie is, is pretty tense. Uh, the scene we just discussed was really high on my list. I almost picked that, um, but I didn't. I wound up going with... Uh, the, the instance where Jack and Grady are having their conversation in the bathroom. I've always been here. <laughs> Did you know, Mr. Torrance, that your son is attempting to bring an outside party into this situation. Did you know that? No. He is, Mr. Torrance. Who? A nigger. A nigger? Cook. Your son has a very great talent. I don't think you are aware how great it is. Um, you know, it's a conversation, but it's a very sinister conversation. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, Grady his performance, uh, Philip Stone's performance as Grady is just off the charts. And it's, it's such a, it's such a creepy and tense and good scene. Um, you really see, like, I feel like that's almost the point where Jack really, really flies off. Like he's creeping to the edge. And whenever he has that conversation with Grady, I feel like that's when he, he starts to jump off the, the end. Um, and everything starts to spiral from that point really quickly. So, um, yeah, to, to me, that that's my choice. Although it's it's a little odd because it's not really that scary of a scene. Um, still, there was just this. It felt almost like you know you've watched the movie. This tension has been building and building and building and building, and then it hits this point, and it's just it's such an intense scene. I loved it. Well, that that's yeah. Tension is the appropriate word because that I think you said it from the very beginning, like the movie starts and it doesn't let you release that tension until the very last moment. Well, the credits or maybe even the zoom in to the the photo. Uh, So this is just a conversation, but, you know, it's a conversation with a ghost or some figment of his imagination 
And the context of what they're talking about in the bathroom (laughs) is creepy and thrilling, tension filled. So, yeah, I I love that scene, too. Uh, It was not my pick. Uh, My pick was (laughs) the scene where Jack loses it with Wendy up the stairs, Mm -hmm. gets hit in the head with a baseball bat and then drug into that room with the canned goods. Specifically, that point where she's dragging him into the room because half, half waking up. And, yes, yeah. he's slowly becoming to, and you're like, she's got to get him in that room, or he's going to destroy her. And he's slowly and waking up. She can't up and, open the like she can't get the door open because yeah. the pins in it, and you're just like pull the pin, pull the pin. <laughs> yeah, and she's not yes. thinking about it. She's so freaked out she can't think straight. Oh my gosh! Yes, uh, it that's was, a great choice. It was awesome. And then this isn't really part of my moment, which maybe it should be, but he, she locks him in there and then he tries to trick her into like, oh, I may need to see a doctor. My head hurts real bad, you know? And she's considering it, but then she's like, I'm no, she's taking Danny and getting out. Uh, Matt's favorite thrilling moment is when Jack and Grady are having the conversation in the bathroom. And my favorite thrilling moment is when Jack loses it with Wendy up the stairs and gets hit in the head with the baseball bat and drug into the canned goods room. Favorite quote. Well, we keep going back to this scene, so I'm just going to keep rolling with it because it was my, uh, well, anyway, it doesn't matter. My favorite scene, but um, it, it's what it's when Jack is talking to Wendy as he's talking her up the stairs. I'm very confused. I just need a chance to think things over. You've had your whole fucking life to think things over. What good's a few minutes more gonna do you now? Stay away from me, please. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Wendy. Stay away. Darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. He looks at her and he's like, Wendy, darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. Going to bash them right the fuck in. <laughs> I'm not going to hurt you. It, oh, my gosh. You're just like, it's, it's, it's amazing. Stop swinging the bat. Put the bat down, Wendy. Oh, Put the bat just, down, Wendy. Give me the bat. Wow. Give me the bat. Okay. <laughs> 
I get creepy just thinking about it. Like I get creeped out just thinking about it right now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. That was a good Nick Nicholson oh. impression too. Oh, I well, thank you. Yeah. So, you know, uh, it's uh, it's not on par with your Arnold, but uh, <laughs> I do my best. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and I know that it's not a good impression, but I appreciate you saying that. I think that's part of the uh, the appeal to our show is that uh, we get to do a, a quote and we get to impersonate the people that actually said it. And it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Uh, Might so, as well just use my regular voice. <laughs> uh, my pick was... Sort of around there. I think it happened previously, a few moments before. But Jack Torrance is talking about his responsibilities. When do you think maybe he should be taken to a doctor? As soon as possible. As soon as possible. Jack. You believe his health might be at stake. You are concerned about him. Uh, And are you concerned about me? Of course I am. Of course you are. Have you ever thought about my responsibilities? Oh, Jack, what are you talking about? Have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and that I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility? You have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is, do you? Has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? Has that ever occurred yeah, to you? Yeah, right before this. Yeah. Wendy's saying she needs to take uh, Danny to the uh, to the doctor. And I, there's a whole bunch here, but I'm just going to read uh, the main part that he's his right, kind of rant. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm ready for it. <laughs> so he says, uh, well, I'll start here. He says, uh, are you concerned about me? And Wendy says, of course I am. And Jack says, of course you are. Have you ever thought about my responsibilities? And Wendy says, what are you talking about? (laughs) Jack says, uh, have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about the responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility? Do you have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is? Do you? Has it ever occurred to you what would happen to my future if I were to fail to live up to my responsibilities? Has it ever occurred to you? Has it? And then she swings a bat. (laughs) So, John, I'm what? not going to comment on your Jack Nicholson impersonation. Thank you. <laughs> but you know what I am going to comment on? My Wendy impression. 
<laughs> that amazing Nicolas Cage you just did. <laughs> And I'm not even joking. When you're editing this and when this goes live, listen to yourself. That was a pretty decent Nick Cage. Well, I'm, I got my Nicks mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, you know, <laughs> don't look in my brain because uh, it's all screwy. <clears throat> and I'm sweating uh, over here because it's 83 degrees. I'm so sorry, dude. That's terrible. Sorry. 84 degrees. Um all right. <laughs> Favorite quote. Uh, my quote was, I'm calling it the responsibilities quote by Jack Torrance. And Matt's favorite quote was the quote uh, where he's uh, telling Wendy to give him the bat and that he's not going to bash her brains in. He's or he's not going to hurt her. He's just going to bash her brains in. <laughs> hey, Matt. Hey, John. Did you know? That when Jack Torrance says, Here's Johnny, mm-hmm. that was improvised by Jack Nicholson. Here's something else about that scene. Uh, according to Shelley Duvall, that scene took three days to film, and they had to use over 60 doors. That's a lot so, of action. Mr. Nicholson got a workout on those three days. I think it's safe to say. Stanley Kubrick originally wanted none other than Slim Pickens to play the part of Halloran, but Pickens Mm. wanted nothing to do with Kubrick following his experiences working with him on Dr. Strangelove. You know, I think that's understandable given some of the stuff I've heard about him. He's a great director, but I, I think he's probably really hard to act for. Um, in order to aid Jack Nicholson in being in an agitated mood, uh, he was fed nothing but cheese sandwiches for two weeks. And uh, Jack Nicholson hates cheese sandwiches. <laughs> I get it. So to kind of illustrate that point, that's some of the stuff you'll see there. Uh, Stanley Kubrick, it, who is known for his compulsiveness and numerous retakes... Got the difficult shot of pouring blood from the elevators in only three takes. You would say this is unremarkable, except those three takes took nine, or each shot took nine days to set up. Hmm. Every time the doors opened and the blood poured out, Kubrick would say, it doesn't look like blood. In the end, the shot took approximately a year to get right. I have to say... They did get it right. It oh. looks like blood. It's some of the most convincing blood I've ever seen, especially in that amount of volume. Yeah. It's a dark red, like you would Also, I feel expect. really bad for the people who had to clean that set up. Yeah. How many times did they scrub those walls clean? Yeah. Um, the, uh, the maze at the end of the film, whenever uh, we see Danny running from Jack... That uh, the snow in that consisted of 900 tons of salt and crushed up styrofoam. So it wasn't real snow. (laughs) There's a lot of snow in that scene. So (laughs) this is how this is another uh, 
tidbit that demonstrates how meticulous Kubrick was. There's a insignificant, really, shot of a tennis ball rolling into frame towards Danny's mm-hmm. toys. It's a pink tennis ball. Yeah, I remember that. Took fifty takes. Oh my gosh! To get it to get it right. <laughs> Uh, most people probably know this, but Stephen King was not a fan of this film uh, when it was released. Um, he said that the, the visuals were stunning, but that it was uh, surface and not substance. And he frequently was known to describe this movie as uh, a fancy car without an engine. I think he might have later changed his tune on that, but um, I don't know that. I don't agree with him, but he ha- that is his opinion. We didn't talk a lot about some of the stuff in the book, but one of the things that was removed from the movie was these topiaries or hedge animals uh, that came alive uh, in the book and haunted John Torrance. Um, Kubrick decided that rather than having those things, uh, he said that was unworkable due to restrictions and special effects. So he opted for the hedge maze instead. So Kubrick was, was pretty infamous for treating people badly uh, on this film in particular. Um, it's been noted that he, uh, he made both Shelley Duvall and Scatman Carruthers um, actually cry. He was so mean to them. Mm. Uh, however, there's an exception and that was Danny Lloyd. He had a, actually a really good relationship with the boy um, and uh, in interviews with Lloyd, he said that Kubrick, Kubrick would play ball with him in between takes and uh, would send Christmas. He sent Christmas cards to him years after the movie was ended. And on the night that he graduated high school, Kubrick actually called him up and said, hey, congratulations. I heard you graduated. And I'm proud of you. Hmm. So that's kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Stanley Kubrick considered Robert De Niro and Robin Williams for the role of Jack Torrance, but decided against them. He didn't think De Niro would suit the role after watching his performance in Taxi Driver, as he thought De Niro was not psychotic enough for the role. And he didn't think Williams would suit the role after watching Mork and Mindy, (laughs) as he deemed him too psychotic for the role. (laughs) And according to Stephen King, Kubrick also briefly considered Harrison Ford, which I would have enjoyed, but I don't know if he, it would have been as good as Nicholson's performance. So here's um, the kind of a book movie uh, hole filler, so to speak. All right. Um, So Tony, the uh, imaginary friend that lives in Danny's mouth. Uh, We don't ever really find out who or what Tony is in the movie. In the book, however, uh, we find out that Tony is actually an adult version of Danny speaking to himself from the future. Um, Also in the book, uh, Danny, child Danny, views Tony as kind of a benevolent imaginary friend who is kind of like a, a Jiminy Cricket type character. Um, as well as kind of a, a gateway to his shining ability, which seems fairly well portrayed. 
Jack Nicholson claimed that the scene where Jack snaps at Wendy for interrupting his writing was the most difficult for him, as he was a writer himself and had gotten into similar arguments with his girlfriend. Being a method actor, he drew on his memories of those arguments and added the line, Or, if you come in here and you don't hear me typing, if I'm in here, that means I'm working. Well, this is the uh, the third movie in our series of Stephen King adaptations that we're reviewing. This is technically only the second movie that was released. Um, you know that if you've been listening to the show, but Salem's Lot, which was the second work, which was brought to screen, uh, was actually made for TV. It was not adapted for movies. Um, actually, I don't think ever, I don't know if it's ever been shown as an actual movie in theaters. Probably not. And so, um, while this is actually episode number three of their King's Journey series, this is technically his second movie. You know what we forgot to do? Hmm. We need to rank these. Oh, yeah. Is, we'll, we'll do the rank. Is, uh, is The Shining better than Carrie? Yeah. Well, yeah, that was easy. It definitely is better than Carrie. That was also easy. <laughs> so. And I'm going to add, it, it's going to be tough for a movie to unseat this one. Yeah, I have some some ones in mind that will be close. But, all right, so The Shining is our number one. Carrie is number two. Salem's Lot is number three at this point. Do you have any more? Did you know? Um, I think I'm going to hold off there. Um, you know, this movie has tons and tons and tons of information out there. There's documentaries, full length documentaries out there about this film. Uh, there's no limit to what you can find on the internet almost as far as information about it. So if you're interested, I would really recommend you just do some research on this one. Um, we could sit here and read facts for another hour. And really, if you're if you're interested, I would highly recommend you go check out some of that stuff because you'll get a lot better information than us just kind of giving you some of the stuff that we've read and found interesting. All right. That is our episode for tonight. Join us in one week for the Cinemini and join us in two weeks and we will review the 1990 action film. Dick Tracy, starring Warren Beatty. We would love it if you would subscribe to the Cinema Men podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Head over to cinemamenpodcast.com to check out new and old episodes. We always love to hear from listeners, so if you have a suggestion or want to give us your take on a movie, email us at feedback at cinemamenpodcast.com or check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash cinemamenpod. Oh, and we forgot our giveaway. Uh... What are we doing, Matt? <laughs> so, if you are interested in getting the Rocky Blu-ray set of all Rocky films, not the Creed movies, I should press. I should say this does not include the Creed films, but it's all of the core Rocky series. All you have to do is find us on Twitter, uh, Cinema Men Pod on Twitter. Uh, I'm about to make a tweet on that account that. Um, will pertain to this giveaway. Just follow us on Twitter and retweet that tweet. That's all you've got to do. Uh, we will choose a winner. Um, we haven't really discussed the time frame on when we're going to do that, but we'll probably choose a winner after, you know, a set amount of time. 
and notify you uh, via Twitter um, direct messaging. Yeah. So we'll collect your information and then ship this out to you free of charge um, as a way of saying thanks for listening and as a way to hopefully drum up some some feedback and some interest. So um, if you're interested, uh, just check our Twitter account. I'll have that up there this evening or you know if you want tomorrow morning. And um, you can you can check that out then. I will say um, we are doing a live recording right now. So that means that until this episode goes live, we, we won't finish the contest. So if you're listening to this in podcast form, um, it's going to be some weeks after we've actually recorded it and this live stream has happened. So um, I, I promise I'm not going to end the contest until at least a week or two has passed after this actual podcast episode is live. Uh, and all that information will be on the Twitter. So go over there, give us a follow, retweet that tweet, and uh, just stay tuned over there and we'll let you know everything you need to know. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you.